basically what MenuAid is, it's a, it's a menu planning platform that solves the, the weekly what's for dinner dilemma. Um, so we provide you with highly personalized and highly curated recipe inspiration, and we combine that with a really smart shopping list. So basically we would pull all of these ingredients into a list and reconcile it for you, and then you can remove anything you've got sitting at home. So if you've already got spices or maybe rice or flour or some sauces, take it all out. You can add anything else you might need for the week. So if you need dog food, breakfast stuff, lunch things, toilet paper, chocolate, you add it all in. And then we integrate into the supermarket so you can have those groceries delivered straight to your door. That was Toby Skilton, founder of MenuAid and Mutu that was originally designed as a lending platform to rent everyday items that would otherwise be collecting dust in your garage. But over the last 12 months, Mutu has had a massive shift and pivot to something way bigger. Listen to Toby's story in the upcoming episode of the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast. Kia ora, you have tuned into the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast delivered to you by DHL, helping to connect your business to the world. Toby Skilton is on podcast today and he is an absolute weapon in the digital space. He started up a, an app called Mutu and we're going to talk all about that and his entrepreneurial journey. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Toby into the stream. Kia ora, how are you? Kia ora, Craig. Hey, I'm doing well, man. Very excited to be talking to you today. Like always, I'm in Rotorua, um, centre of the North Island. For those outside of New Zealand, listen to this podcast. Whereabouts are you currently? Well, uh, my my base is in Christchurch, but uh, as I'm speaking to you today, I'm in the wonderful Palmerston North of all places. But yeah, normally based down in Christchurch. The first question I ask all of our guests is to get uh, for us to get a little bit of an understanding about you. Is what was your first ever job? that you ever had to do and you got money for it. So um, it could be when you were five or six or, or however old you were. And then if you could just roll into your first sort of career job, what that was, and then what you're doing now. Yeah, totally. So my first job was actually quite funny because the more I thought about this, the more I sort of realized, I guess it had like a bit of an entrepreneurial flair to it. So I grew up in a gorgeous little town called Tiaroha. So it's like, as actually if any of you know where Jacinda Ardern's from, from Morrinsville, where we're sort of just the neighboring town, very, very small, about 2000 people. Um, and basically with our high school, all of the teachers lived right around the perimeter. So that pretty much all the teachers live within, you know, 50 to 100 meters walk from school, which is really useful for them. And my rugby coach said he needed his lawns mowed. I thought, actually, I could do that. I think it was like $20 cash or $25 cash and a pretty easy lawn. And for a, you know, a young guy who was trying to get fit for rugby, I thought, right, I can get out there and zip around this guy's lawns, you know, a couple of, couple of times a month. Um, and it just sort of dominoed effect from there. So I was doing Mr. Hammond's lawns before Mr. Peter's lawns, before Mr. Gore's <laughs> lawns. I ended up having, I think, eight or nine sets of lawns all within this tiny, tiny little area. Um, so that was my first kind of paid gig, probably like 14 maybe. Um, and then, yeah, I have had a, a pretty random journey to where I am now. Um, sort of fast forward from then, uh, went and studied down in Otago, and I guess the entrepreneurial streak sort of started to continue. I don't know if you've heard much about Scarfi culture or the Dunedin student life, but they're pretty good at breaking things, especially the flats that they live in, so holes in the walls, broken windows, doors, that sort of thing. Um, so I set up a company called Scarfy Repairs when I was a student, fixing mm. student flats for student rates. Nice. Um, so yeah, that that grew pretty quickly. 
um, ended up having sort of five or so people working for me and I ended up just sort of being the connector really. I was getting, um, I guess, too big for my boots. Like I was just a YouTube uh, tutorial um, builder. So I didn't have any qualifications um, and was ended up finding myself having to do full flat repairs, which was quite intimidating. So I would just send in trade professionals and just take things off the top. So that was great. Um, Travelled the world for a bit with my partner, Elise. Um, and that's when I came back and had the idea for Mutu. Found getting, I guess you're able to travel the world and stay in property that's excess. People just have, you know, spare rooms. They have spare couches. They have spare homes where, you know, they're able to learn to monetize that and get the most out of that asset. I thought, why can't you do that with, you know, smaller items like bikes and kayaks and tents and paddle boards? And so, you know, found there was nothing like that in New Zealand. And Kiwis are pretty notorious for having garages full of stuff. So that's um, that's where we sort of landed. And things have changed a lot since then, which I'm sure we'll jump into. But it's kind of been the, the pathway from there. So I might dig into Mutu a little bit because, like you said, Kiwis do have a lot of things. I've got 12 surfboards. I only surf one of them. And I always think I'm going to surf the other ones, but I always pull out the, the my latest one that I've got. Can you tell us a little bit about Mutu and what, what that is all about? Yeah, 100%. So what we've done is we created a platform that allowed people like yourself who have you know a bunch of surfboards sitting in the garage collecting dust to make them available for people nearby. So if someone's either visiting uh, your city or they're just looking to get into surfing for the first time and you know can't really justify buying a surfboard or, or don't want to because it's from a sustainability point of view, they're just able to rent yours out from you. So you can make a bit of money on this thing that's just sitting there collecting dust. Someone new can get, you know, more equitable and affordable, sustainable access to a, a bit of equipment. Um, so the platform allows people to lend out the things they own as well as being able to borrow things you'll need only once or twice. So surfboards are a really good example. Think of things like cameras, right? So if you want to, if you've got a, a, an event coming up or a wedding or something like that and you want to get a really nice like $10,000 Canon camera, there's no point buying that for one-off event. You could borrow one for, you know, $100 a day. Um, so same goes to things like drones or tools. There's a whole range of stuff, trailers that people have just sitting around collecting dust that can be better used by people nearby. So you created Mutu as an app. What yeah, experience yes, do you have in the app building space? I don't. But what I do, what I kind of guess I'm so most proud of is I think I learned very quickly like what my skill set is and, and what I'm good at. And I learned very quickly what was missing. And I, I actually, the way I set up Mutu was very, um, not very conventional. And I think like a lot of people could maybe learn quite a lot from this. So I'm sort of happy to share. But I drew on paper. I was like, who, what are the kind of people or roles I would need to have to make a, you know, a global company? And like, what are the skill sets that are missing? And for me, I'm very good at sales. That's kind of my thing. Um, I'm great at kind of uh, sort of relationship side of things and, and big picture thinking and strategy. But what I'm not good at is marketing or dealing with sort of like customer strategy or I can't write code, so I'm not a developer. So there's all these gaps, right? And so I found these six key roles that I needed to form this dream team. Um, found an incredible Kiwi website called Appoint Better Boards. So a little plug for them, but... It's basically a website where um, Kiwis look to seek governance experience. So all sorts of entities um, will post listings for board positions um, as a trustee or a, a director. And from there, um, I think it's about $750. So I just posted this thing, said, look, I'm not trying to fill up a board or get board positions. I'm like a young 
founder who's got a, a great idea that could change the world and I'm looking for these kind of six personas um, and just let that sit for a while. And 750 at the time was quite a lot of money. It was a bit of a punt. Um, but I had about 50 people apply. And so that was a new challenge in itself because I had 50 incredible people reach out and want to be a part of this journey. So this whole recruitment process went and yeah. And from there, so I was able to secure an incredible software developer, Brandon, who, who built the Mutu platform from scratch. Um, and, and again, with some amazing people, head of marketing for Hyundai, um, the head of customer success for Australasia, for Canon, like the camera company, hmm. these incredible people jumping on this journey very early. So yeah, very grateful. Not the sort of traditional pathway, but um, one that seemed to work for me. So what was the sales pitch to the the team that you created? Was it equity share or did you pay them or, or you want to be part of this of Mutu and, and reap the rewards in the future? How did you sell it? Yeah, for sure. It's was, it was the big dream, right? So I, I said, look, you know, this isn't a New Zealand-based problem. This is a, a global problem, and, and this is a brand that, with the right people, could have the potential to completely, you know, change the world. And and for a lot of people who have found themselves in the corporate setting, um, you can, you can hit a ceiling quite quickly. And for someone who's you know the head of marketing for Hyundai, dealing with you know multiple of millions of budgets and a massive team, you know, you sort of what maybe got put a little fire in your stomach initially may not be the same anymore you don't even necessarily deploy any of the marketing goods anymore you more just strategize and plan and get others to do it so for for her for michelle to be able to join a startup with no budget no brand power and it just being back to like marketing guerrilla tactics a real hustle like that for her was this real excitement and with a great purpose behind it so um in terms of remuneration you're right it was a sweat equity model so a percentage of the company was was given to her and, and to everyone else on the team in exchange for their time. Um, and with the goal, I guess it motivated me to to find capital or to make money through the business to then be able to kind of put them in a paid position. Um, but yeah, initially it was just having some equity um, on the line for them, which was which worked really well. Um, I'll go back into Mutu shortly, but from my research about you, you're currently running two startups. So you've got Mutu on the on the boil, and you've got another one. What's your other startup that you've got going? Yeah, um, so it's called Menuade, and I think before I kind of jump into it, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend the double. Um, <laughs> it's certainly, but I think for me, look, I, I've been parked on this idea for sort of a couple of years, similar time to Mutu, and I just wanted to pick one. Um, and I think Mutu now is really humming, and I just couldn't have this idea sit idle any longer. Um, but basically what MenuAid is, it's a, it's a menu planning platform that solves the, the weekly what's for dinner dilemma. Um, so we provide you with highly personalized and highly curated recipe inspiration. And mm. we combine that with a really smart shopping list. So basically we would pull all of these ingredients into a list and reconcile it for you. And then you can remove anything you've got sitting at home. So if you've already got spices or maybe rice or flour or some sauces, take it all out. You can add anything else you might need for the week. So if you need dog food, breakfast stuff, lunch things, toilet paper, chocolate, you add it all in. And then we integrate into the supermarket so you can have those groceries delivered straight to your door. So basically providing a, a service of convenience. And, and what we're aiming to do is completely take over. Apologies, a little bit of noise here. We're looking to completely take over the whole weekly shopping routine. And we're not only going to take care of it for you, we're going to be better at it than you are. So it's been an incredibly exciting journey. We're working, we've got a MasterChef winner, Brett McGregor on our team. Um, mm. There's actually, there's seven of us now. So that team's growing incredibly quickly. 
um, in the process of closing a capital raise and, and really going from strength to strength. But I started Menuaid with my partner, Elise. So she's in the driver's seat. She's the CEO and she's absolutely crushing it. She quit her job full time as a, a project manager and has just gone head first into startup world. So very, very fortunate to sit more of an, in a governance level for them and helping from kind of a strategic and, and taking a few scars from the Mutu world and, and being able to kind of pass them on to, to some of the team and, and help with hiring and surrounding her and myself with really, really good people again. So the next question is about menu aid and Mutu. So Mutu, I'm assuming, would be a free app to download. Is that correct? Yeah. So just a, a interesting thing with Mutu. Yes, you're right. Completely right. So free mobile app. Um, we've got a, a web-based version of the platform as well, completely free. Um, so our commercial model there is we just take a percentage only on successful transactions, just 10%. Mm -hmm. um, but we've done a, a, a pretty humongous pivot. Um, and that's mm. not really our core business anymore, which is quite interesting. Um, so, so if you Mutu, like, so Mutu's had a pivot, a, a monstrous one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Well, what's the pivot? Yeah. So I guess one of the so we've got about twenty five thousand people throughout the country using the platform, and we've got thousands of items all over the country. So think of things like um, your traditional stuff: surfboards, bikes, kayaks. Uh, far from traditional stuff, someone's put their dog on there. There's um, a spa pool in Hamilton. $50 a day, you can have a spa pool delivered and set up. Still have no idea how that works, but it's on there. All sorts of stuff. But one of the things we found, um, and so we validated the idea a lot. We had 2,000 people before we went live with Mutu tell us that they loved the idea, they felt the problem we were solving, and they would use it. So it was huge validation for us. Um, the unfortunate thing was, is when we launched it, what we found is that there's this internal driver for people for sustainability. Like everyone's thinking about it. It's becoming more and more common. We understand that the need to kind of change the way we consume. But what they don't talk about a lot is also our, our desire and hunger for convenience. And, you know, we've got these little smartphones here where I can purchase anything from anywhere in the world and have it show up to my house. Like how convenient is that, right? It's not very sustainable, but it's convenient. So our model gets a little bit tricky because it's not as convenient as buying stuff. You have to go to a strange, I have to show up at your house, grab your surfboard, then I have to drop it off again. It's just, we found there was a few pain points for people and we couldn't really solve that. So we pivoted and thought, how about we work with the retail sector? I can't stop mm. Craig buying surfboards. He's got 12 of them. He's probably going to buy more. Why don't I work with the, you know, the leading uh, sports brands that sell the best surfboards in the world and enable them to offer Craig a more sustainable option, you know, the option to try something before he buys it. So you've seen the, the, the top of the line surfboard come to the market. You're questioning whether you buy it and you see that you can actually try it out for a week or a month. Hmm. And so you just mm -hmm. pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars or whatever the price is and you could try this board before you, you buy it. You get to the end of that two-week trial period, you think, actually, this surfboard isn't as good as I thought it was. I don't want to buy it. I wouldn't actually use it. It would just join the other 12 in the garage. Hmm. So you only have paid the rental and then it just yep. goes back. And that surfboard could be borrowed by someone else who's thinking about the same decision. And so we, we had Canon, Kathmandu, Mitre 10. The warehouse group was interested. We had these huge brands that were super keen, ready to go. Um, and at the same time, exact same time as all this was happening, we had inbound requests from super large, really asset-heavy, multi-location organizations. So think about like universities, city councils, construction companies coming to us and saying, not interested mm -hmm. in bikes, kayaks, and surfboards. What we are interested in is whether your technology could be used by us to get better visibility of the stuff that we own as an organization and make it more accessible, more reusable, 
within our own company by our by people and by different teams. And, you know, in the beginning, we just said, no, we're like, we can't get stuck building bespoke bits of tech for construction companies or, you know, and what it turned out is that with the two other models, although they're like quite exciting and had great potential, they're very much vitamins and they're not painkillers. They were, they were nice to have for a consumer and something that made them feel good, but it didn't sort of burn away at them where they're like, I have to use this thing. It's like, it's critical to my daily life. Whereas for these large organizations, you know, they're losing millions and millions of dollars in unnecessary procurement because of a visibility and connectivity problem. And so our platform, we had to kind of redesign it a bit, um, but, but it completely solves that for them. So we're able to help companies save, you know, millions in unnecessary procurement um, and also divert tons of waste from landfill. So we've completely pivoted our whole business to focus on this business-to-business -business opportunity with our Mutu Exchange platform, which is basically, it's just a resource efficiency tool that combines a, a really simple asset management platform with a closed network marketplace, making it easy for businesses to find, dispose and reuse assets within their own company or via other companies nearby that have similar resource needs. Um, so, I mean, as you can see, there's been plenty going on, but that's kind of, that's what we do now. And, and um, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been a crazy last couple of years. So for the listeners and me a little bit as well, can you give me an exact example of what someone is borrowing from another business now? Yeah, so the model is quite interesting with our, so I'll give you an example, say, of a university. Yep. So universities have this really um, painful siloed effect. So each department within a university, some will have between 15 to 20 departments. Each mm -hmm. of them have their own decentralized and informal procurement process. So department A is like, okay, we need 200 new desks and 200 new monitors and 200 new chairs. There's no centralized point where they can go and check, are these available in the university? Mm. And so mm. they procure new, let's just say 100 grand yep. for all this, easy number. Yep. And then department B on the same campus at the same university is like far out. We've got 500 desks, 500 chairs, 500 monitors sitting in storage, taking up a lot of space, which we're paying for. We need to get rid of them. There's no centralized place for them to offer these up and to say, hey, look, does anyone need these? Can anyone use them? We're going to get rid of them. So they just send them to landfill, which is like doesn't benefit anyone, right? It's mm. a cost to dump them. It was costing them to store them, and there's a and that's purely just due to visibility and poor processing. So we provide technology for them to get visibility of those items and to enable that reuse to take. And I guess it just supercharges the transition to a more circular economy for them. I'll summarise that. So business A has got six surfboards. Business B needs six surfboards. They're in the same umbrella of business and they go out to go and buy them. But before they do that, they go, oh, actually, I'll go and see what the stock levels are looking like. Oh, business A's got six surfboards. I'll just go and get them off them, save some money and um, solve their problem of storage. Done. Got it. Yeah, you got it. Nice. So how do you upsell that to the businesses? Do you go direct to them or is there a marketing, like what, what marketing techniques are you using? Yeah, so what we've done at the moment is, is it's sort of a two-part model. The first is an inbound approach where we just target really, really large businesses like a university or construction companies, city councils, and we go direct. And we, we have identified what that type of customer looks like. And as I sort of mentioned, really asset-heavy, really large, lots of locations. Um, and then within those organizations, we find, I guess, the champions, 
which are people who are normally in sustainability roles, circular economy roles, um, or working kind of in procurement, facilities management. And we basically take it and present it to them that way. And the um, and then the kind of secondary bit is we've built this network effect. So if you can't use, say, you mentioned the surfboards or any type of asset or material, if you can't use it within your own company, we connect you with other businesses nearby that share those similar resource needs. So essentially, organizations are now inviting other companies to join our platform so they can share their assets with. Because there's lots of, mm -hmm. say, if you think of a university, there's lots of relationships with different businesses in their city. It could be with the local council. It could be with other research facilities. It could be with schools. So they invite these companies to join, and therefore then we can convert them into to paying customers. So we've got this inherent network effect that our customers drive us more customers, which has been yeah, invaluable. So with Muta, you would originally had a plan to obviously sell or rent out people's products, and now it's, it's changed to... What it is now what, what what how far out do you plan now do you think there's going to be another another change or, or how, how does that work for you yeah so we're in a pretty um interesting position at the moment i haven't actually really ever said this on a kind of public platform but i think it's kind of time to start reshaping the conversation so i think for us you know we can't do all three i think um one thing a really nice quote that i heard recently is that startups don't die of starvation they die of gluttony and I think that's what mm -hmm. we've learned, right, is there is a huge amount of opportunity for startups. Everyone wants to work with them. If you've got a great team, a great vision and, and great people, uh, and uh, sorry, um, and great tech, often you, you attract a lot of attention. Um, and so for us, I think what we've done is realized we have to pick one and, and we are picking the B2B opportunity with the exchange. So we will be looking at what happens to the sort of retail and consumer phasing part of our business. Um, we are looking to kind of hand that on to someone else who can take it to the next level and take it to the world like we intended. But at this stage, it's going to be uh, a full focus on the exchange and, and looking at how we can enter this into new markets globally, having some really exciting conversations with a couple of Australian universities um, and city councils with these huge interests. So already looking to expand into new markets and, and scale up the team, focus on a completely new vision, which is not it's not an easy thing to do. It's, there's a lot of um, yeah, important things to consider from a branding perspective. And you know, we've got 25,000 odd people here who, who've used or bought into our vision for one side of the business. So just making sure we navigate that and handle it carefully. I can instantly think of other industries that would this would be very helpful for. One would be I'm in the event space in my, in my normal job, and I have worked in the venues um, across in Wellington and Otorua for quite some time as well. And in Wellington, as an example, we had seven different council-owned venues, and each of those venues had different furniture. If you've got an event happening in um, the Makabala Centre, as an example, and you needed um, three lecterns, which is, and the speakers and the microphones, you may not know where they were. So that's a, an example of going, well, you could, the ops manager could just look on the app and go, I know that we've got three over in the St. James Theatre. We'll just go and grab those. Um, can you go and grab them with the truck? That sort of thing. That, that, should be, that would be really helpful. Another one would be event organizers themselves saying, and you could have a look at, hey, um, all these people on there and go, I, I need um, I need 600 meters of festoons. Who's got them in my in my space? And then you could go, oh, uh, um, they do down in that company there. I'll just give, flip them a message and um, instead of, like you say, instead of having me having to buy or hire 600 festoons from a, I'll just, we'll just do some bartering for it or something like that. That would be quite cool. I love it. 
Yeah, yeah you've hit the nail on the head. You're actually the second person this week who's told me we really need to look at the event space. And it's just a space <laughs> we haven't thought of, of entering in. But for that exact, exact problem is it's normally like a one-off thing where you do need a whole bunch of stuff and it's all available. It's just there's no visibility of a who has it and, and what could be accessed. So providing just a centralized platform for that would be super valuable. Um, and to your point, we've actually got a request feature. So instead of listing your stuff, you can say, I'm looking for X and cast it mm. out to a network and people can be connected that way as well. So what do you think makes a really good team? You said you've had to build a team to be able to create Mutu and, and it's changed. What do you think are the ingredients to build a team? Yeah, I think there's a couple of key components. I think the first one for, for at least myself when I set up both Menuade and Mutu was looking at like what do I see as the vision of this company and and I think I, like, I always challenge myself to just think like if my dreams and ambitions and goals don't scare me, I always think I'm not kind of thinking big enough and I sort of then work backwards. It's like this is the end goal. Like I want both of these companies to be globally renowned brands that when you mention it to anyone, regardless of who they are, they say, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Like Netflix, mm -hmm. Spotify, Airbnb, Uber, everyone's heard of them. And I think Menuade and Motu both had the, the right, you know, potential to, to be those brands. So I think I then start there and I try and backtrack. And I think, who would I need to surround myself with to achieve that? And that is the tricky part. Um, because, you know, in a dream state, you would just pluck people from those companies, which I try and do. Mm -hmm. I use LinkedIn as a phenomenal and highly underrated tool like it's free and you've got access to the world's best professionals on there. Um, but, and, and I think I challenge kind of Kiwi entrepreneurs or founders or business owners to think bigger than New Zealand. And, you know, I spent actually like just before we we're on the call, spent the last hour like connecting with people from DoorDash and from, you know, from oh, yeah. American like Grubhubs and um, Instacart, all in America and the States. And, you know, oh, what's this Kiwi guy doing adding me? And it's literally, I'm trying to sell to them, trying to sell my vision for this company. And people are attracted to, ambitious like hungry big scary goal people and and to see you know if, if you can kind of surround yourself with enough of them you just become a magnet and you'll have people queuing up wanting to get involved and that is something i put a heap of my time and energy into is trying to find people who kind of intimidate me really i think mm. people who i kind of think far out like we've just made an incredible hire for mutu guy who's been in a couple of companies in europe who have taken them from you know eight to 10 employees to over 200. And that, if I'm being honest, like scares the living daylights out. That's something I've never done. The idea of like having 200 people is something I want to be, but I just have no idea of the pathway. So having Ben here who has been through it and can kind of help guide me. So it's having people who can not only share the vision, but also help you just amplify it and get there faster, I think is critical. So yeah, knowing where you want to go and work backwards would be my goal, uh, my, my, uh, my opinion. You mentioned that, very briefly there and you said that sometimes you feel that you shouldn't be talking to this person what what's the next step in your mind to be able to go well, actually i'm just going to do it anyway what's it it's like some people call it the imposter syndrome some people call it other things but um what steps do you take to go i'm just going to go and have a chat to this guy is it is it a kiwi thing or is it is it is it a toby thing yeah and I, I love that you brought up the imposter syndrome thing that was something really early with Mutu that hit me like a ton of bricks and I had no idea what it was didn't know the term existed and soon found out it did and it started to make a bit more sense but I guess I just realized pretty quickly is that it's understanding like what the opportunity is that you're talking about right and a good example is with investment and lots of startups will go through a journey of trying to raise capital and often you sit there and you, and you think that 
uh, you're getting the opportunity to be there. But you need to flip the conversation and realize you're presenting, like they are being gifted an opportunity to jump on this incredible journey. And it's when you start to flip the mindset of the conversation and, for example, talking to incredible employees around the world, you know, they should be getting excited by talking to me, right? Not, and it's just, it's very hard to think of it that way. You get nervous and, you know, we deal with the, some of the largest companies in the country. And at the start, you used to think, how am I sitting on with a senior leadership <laughs> team of this company? It just made no sense. But I just soon realized, like, no one knows these two companies better than I do and no one ever will. And when you're the expert in the room, you just, you're like, your confidence becomes really infectious. And I think you just use it as fuel. And if you're not, you don't have that nervous feeling in your stomach, you're not talking to people high enough up. So you just need to kind of use it as ammunition and just realize you're the expert there. So like anything you say is the gospel really. So this is why I try and remind myself is that no one's going to know this better than I am um, and that they get them excited about it. I've had that feeling a couple of times where I've been sitting in a room and then I, and I'm like, how on earth did I get to this room right now and making these <laughs> yeah. calls? Like, anyway, yeah. anyway. It's when, you, it's when I come off them, I think it hits me the most. I walk away <laughs> just being like, wow, like that yeah, is pretty yeah. intense. You know, that was That's not, cool. yeah. No, oh, awesome, man. I'm, it's, um, it's it's really cool. So I'm going to move into a couple a, a different way and move away from um what you're doing and. And so talk talk about some things that you I suppose that you learned on the right on the way. So I suppose it's, we'll keep with the mood to and the menu way, but about the challenges and the things that you've gone through. So what's been your, the number one challenge that you've gone through? And could you just dissect it a little bit? Not so much a challenge, or how you had to manage that challenge. Yeah, I think my my biggest one, and it's an area I've been really actively working on in the last few months, is focus. And it sounds a little bit rich because I've got two startups. That's going to be tough to focus, right? But I think even within that is focusing on nailing one thing, doing it really, really well. And someone actually said to me recently, and it, it's very simple. It's around the idea of you just draw a matrix and you have customers on the side or potential customers who could use your service. Mm -hmm. And you have different problems you could solve for that customer on the top of the matrix. It's just a couple of squares on a bit of paper. And you pick the problem that you want to solve for one customer and you basically nail that problem for that customer and you earn the right to go and solve new ones. And that's how, if you think of Amazon, right, selling books, now they do everything for everyone. But you can't start like that. And I think that was my major challenge is I was like a magpie to shiny things. And, you know, I had these really large brands getting in touch, like Juicy Rentals and like um, neighborly and all these amazing brands be like hey we'd love to work with you and I was like yeah I'm in I don't have any time but I'm gonna try and find some and so I just think that was like a huge challenge for me is to to actually to say no it's it's really tough to go back and say hey look we can't do this right now I think it's really interesting I'd love to work with you in the future unfortunately it's something I can't prioritize and that's hard as a startup when you're small and you're reliant on these big players potentially to help turn the needle. So that's something I've yeah, been really trying to work on is just being hyper-focused on nailing one thing at a time. Says the guy of two startups. <laughs> two startups. <laughs> now, so what, what you're saying is that you say, my, my, I'm in a marathon right now, I'm not a sprint, and, I'm, and I need to get to the end of that marathon. And, and the opportunities that are coming my way in there are just going to take me off the focus of finishing the one that I'm currently on now. So I, Thank you for the opportunity, but my focus is on finishing this marathon. Not it's not a sprint. I love it. I think that's super yeah. cool. Yeah, you got it. 
what has been let's say two or three of the best business advice that you've been given yeah i think the first one and it actually I, when i first got the advice i was kind of frustrated with it because i sort of thought i'd done it but it's just the idea of truly validating the problem that you're solving for a particular customer right and i think a lot of people might experience the problem themselves and that's what sort of prompts innovation you're like i found this thing annoying a solution doesn't exist i make the solution but i think what you realize pretty quickly is like sometimes that can be like a really small pocket of people and maybe the actual problem that you're solving is you know much bigger or it affects people in this way and the importance of just relentlessly talking to your early adopters or to you know people you think are your customers and truly understanding what their pain points are and and the problems that you're solving and i think if you learn like if you intimately know the customer and the problem you're solving for them the product or service that you're building comes second and i think a lot of people get stuck and i was one of them you start to build the product and the solution and you start to kind of like problem fit like does it fit here does it fit here does it fit here but if you go the other way and you just learn like exactly the pain point that they have, it's so much easier to design amazing services or products for them. So that was a, a real big one. Um, and the second is the importance of switching off from, from work time. I was pretty bad in the beginning. I'm very fortunate to have at least my partner who's kind of just been always a cheerleader, but also just kind of, um, yeah, just sometimes, you know, she would force me to like, would go on camping trips where there was no service. That was her kind of power card. Mm -hmm. It was like, look, oh, there's no service here. But I was terrible. Like I'd, I'd get home and just get the laptop out and, you know, I'd still sit in the lounge with everyone, but just be on my computer bashing away at things. There's always stuff to do, but the importance of turning things off and just completely in your brain reset. And I play a ton of sports, which help. That kind of, um, you can't really think about things when you're you know, going a hundred miles an hour in a game of basketball or volleyball or squash. So, um, that's helped. So it's just the importance of giving your brain a chance to, to reset and, and a bit of a digital detox every now and then is super important. What would be a single piece of advice that you would give to someone out there who's listening right now who's sitting on an idea who hasn't plucked up the courage to start? Yeah, um, it's actually I'm really glad you asked this one because I've just gone through it with like my best friend. He's a, a PT. Um, his name's Bevan. He has had this idea for this incredible well-being kind of platform, experienced the problem himself working in corporate life. And, you know, he looks at the world and I think a lot of people listening to this will be the same where it's like, well, I don't have millions of dollars to build out this amazing team, get an office and build out a piece of technology. And there's a million reasons why people can put excuses in the way. Um, and what I said to Bevan, and I say the same to everyone here is, you know, you can test and validate an idea with no money like for example for his i said look get some things together on canva like a free tool make things you know look slightly pretty you can build logos on there for free and get on the phone or go into this office and ask to talk to them say do you have this problem i want to build this solution for you for free i want to help you shape the future of this so he's gone from like having no money no confidence in doing the idea to come now to a point where he's got a first proposal in front of like a large corporate and he hasn't spent i mean he's spent his time but he hasn't spent like a cent on building this thing it's all conceptual and he's just validating and validating and validating for free and you know, using Facebook and, and LinkedIn and these free tools out there, which allow you to learn, like, does this idea have legs? And, you know, it's just, I think that's the, the bit of advice is just try, like validate, understand if there's a problem and you just build up with confidence and realize you can take that plunge and, and get started.
it's a consistent message from all of our podcast guests so far is that ensure that there's actually a market for the gap that you're the problem that you're trying to solve. And then once you get that data or analysis, go all in. It's cool. Yeah, for sure. A um, couple of questions to go. I know you've got a you've got a hard out time and it's um, it's looming quite quickly. So what do you do to escape? You've already mentioned sports, and you said that your partner uh, um, <laughs> made you literally escape out of out of. Um, but what are the things do you consume for you for your escapism? Yeah, so there's there's two others. Yeah, you mentioned it, sport, and then just quality time with friends and family. The the other one that's really interesting. I've got a little dog, a little Bobby, um, and funnily enough, like you know, you get home, you've been super stressed, you know, you've got stuff to do. And this wee thing, like without fail, every single day is so damn excited to see me that she like pees a little bit in the driveway every time. <laughs> and I think for me, just something as simple as like getting her, like we just go to the beach or go to the park and I'll boot a ball around. And I do just completely unwind. I've heard like other people who have children, that's kind of a similar effect where um, like you had Anna on, she's talking about Lily. So like my little, um, like my cousin's wee daughter and, and her kind of first grandchild. And, and for her, that's been her weapon of choice to completely switch off and it's just infectious and i think for me having this little dog's been similar um and it's also consuming content for me like i guess in that kind of gen z millennial bracket so i do generally consume a fair bit of content so i just love learning new things so i'll just spend a bit of time in the evenings just have youtube or podcast going learning about you know interesting emerging tech or just stuff that i find fascinating for me even though it's kind of for some people might look like it's working. I just love it. Like it's just, it, it does allow me to switch off and think about new stuff and, and clear up a bit of space in the brain for, for new ideas. Bit of a reset. So for those of you who don't know, Anna Stretton, we interviewed her a few weeks ago now and I asked her a question and that question is, who do you think would be an awesome guest to be on the podcast? And she said, oh, you should, you should um, connect with Toby Skilton. He's, he's my nephew and he does a few cool things. And here we are. And Anna's answer to that was she does about four things at once. She goes, oh, so what I really like doing is um, listening to this, emailing and cooking at the same time. <laughs> I am watching Netflix. So it was four things at one time is the way Not she said, I'm, 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 a, I'm an active, uh, she said, I'm an active um, relaxer. So I can't just sit there and do nothing. I'm going to sit there and do about four things. So I can't imagine what. Anna would do when she's actually in, in full um, full action mode, maybe 10 or 12 things at once. Um, who do you think would be an awesome guest for the NZ Smeni podcast? Yeah, I have been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, the one guy that comes to mind that I would absolutely love you to get on is Ben from Kogo. I don't know if you – it could be tricky. He's a very busy guy. <laughs> But he, so Kogo kind of has gone through this incredible journey um, of starting as this consumer facing platform, which was connects in your phone uh, on your banking apps with your spending. So you can basically get a direct measurement of your carbon footprint of the places you purchase. And it suggests other places that you could be shopping at to kind of reduce mm. that carbon footprint and track it over a month. So, you know, maybe it's eating vegetarian or vegan for the week or looking at alternative measures of transport different places you buy your clothing so pretty incredible but they've done this humongous pivot as well and they're now working in with banks and going after a much wider audience globally and are just going from strength to strength to strength and they're building this global empire all based out of wellington new zealand um and i think he from just an impact he's just super inspiring someone i've always been so inspired by so he would be pretty cool um 
for sure. I'm happy to try and make an intro. It's a busy guy, but I'm sure we'll do it. Um, I might leave the floor for you for one one last thing. If you've got anything that you'd like to say to any small businesses out there now, what would that be? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been the last two, two and a half years for small businesses has been so incredibly difficult. Um, and I guess the one thing I would kind of challenge them or, or to start thinking about is how can I take what I've already got? So if I'm a small shop or I, or I do X, Y, and Z, like how could I innovate and completely rethink our business model? Um, you know, and there's been some incredible stuff and in like keeping an eye on the media and seeing what's happening globally. Uh, New Zealand's great because we're always like a couple of years behind of, of what's happening. But think about, you know, if you do have a, a storefront or you sell a particular product or you, you have a particular, you know, resources you've got, how can I get as much value out of those and completely rethinking it and having that spending maybe like 30 minutes when you have your morning coffee or when you're walking the dog in the evening, thinking about new ways that you could kind of, and, a, and a, the mask thing that we talked about, I encourage everyone just to listen to that episode um, around how kind of Anna has just completely rethought their business model to make over a million masks to help with COVID. So, you know, that's one example, but I, I do challenge people just to rethink it a little bit and how can I be innovative and, and who knows what you might land on. You might do a monstrous pivot like we have, but <laughs> who knows, just, just challenge yourself to, to think bigger. Awesome, Toby. I really do appreciate your time. This has been another epic episode. I know you're a busy dude, so um, I do appreciate it. For those of you, we're going to make sure that we've got the Mutu links in the show notes and menu aid as well. So if you haven't got those um, menu aid, um, download that app and then you can start implementing that in your life to hopefully make things a little bit easier for you. And Kogo sounds like a, a good app to be able to understand um, the footprint of the things that we are purchasing. But anyway, Toby, you have a great day. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it, man. All the, all the best for the remainder of the, of the year for you. Yeah, same to you. Keep crushing. Oh, I look forward to hearing the future podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning into the Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast. We really do appreciate your time. To help us out a little bit, a review would be amazing and very much appreciated. If you want to learn a little bit more about the actual festival in New Zealand, jump on to nzsmefestival.com and it will give you all the dates and locations for the festivals across New Zealand in 2022 and 2023. Thanks again and we always appreciate your time.